Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and back to discuss Psalm 51 with me is Aaron Antone. In this episode, we talk about the ways that the particular context of this psalm helps us enter it, how it feels in some ways, especially relatable or maybe even accessible. We talk about what's going on with some of the sacrifice language and the ways that God both initiates our prayers and has gifted us with a community to help us pray. We talk about a lot and there's a lot in this psalm to talk about. So to get us started, here's Aaron reading Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Aaron, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me back. It is my privilege and my honor. Psalm 51 I don't know what your experience of it's like. We'll, we'll obviously talk a little bit more about it. But there's portions of this psalm that just sound sung to me. I think it's because I've heard so many kind of musical versions sure. of this psalm. Sure. And even different parts of it have different pieces. Have you ever done a musical setting of Psalm 51? Uh, no, I have not. I have not. We have one that we do at Granite Springs that I quite like. So um, yeah. I've leaned on that one when Psalm 51 is appropriate. But yeah, there is a, there's a lot of not only kind of singable things, but familiar phrases and, and uh, pretty, right. it's, it seems like uh, well-known chunks out of the song. For sure. Rightly so, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's really rich. Well, let's just dive right in then. Okay. Aaron, I want to hear from you. What stood out to you in reading the psalm? Well, I, I, I felt like I knew the psalm pretty well. And yeah. I mean, the, the context is super compelling and i i think this is this is one of the few psalms where context really makes this uh, <laughs> it makes this psalm really cut um 
Do you, do you want to, should we give context to the listeners? Yeah, the title of this psalm reads, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So it's basically like so many of the psalms, so many of the conversations I've had, we sit here and we think, wow, I'd be so interested in what the context is yeah. for this psalm. Yeah, this yeah. one just gives it yeah. right to you, yeah. like yeah. very explicitly. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, and I went back to Second Samuel just to kind of look at that story. Again. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was reminded, like, so David not only commits adultery with Bathsheba, but he, like, there's this cover-up attempt that's super fascinating. So at first he, like, Bathsheba gets pregnant, so he tries to, like, pin it on her husband is Uriah, I think, Uriah. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to convince him to, you know, to sleep with her so that it looks like he got her pregnant. And then that, like, he tries that twice, I think. And then finally, like, yeah. sends, tells his, his general to put him on the front lines to basically kill him. I mean, that's, that's pretty dark stuff. Yeah, it really is. If we were talking to Libby, our Old Testament oh, This would be a great scholar. one. I'd love to have Libby around for this one. Yeah, that story, I mean, she's pointed out, I think, at least in conversation with me before, that we, we often talk about it as a kind of adultery in the sense of an affair, sort of like, oh, here's two people, you know, kind of fell in love and out they, of, out of they had this relationship. Yeah. But really, this is at at sort of its very best sexual assault, if not something much more extreme like rape, right? because of the power that David has. You can't imbalance. refuse the king. Right when he sends for her. So, yes, with all that context, this psalm becomes uh -huh. in some ways really relatable as a repentance psalm because it's less about less about conquering enemies or victories in battle and about mm. and instead about something really intimate and uh, that we can I think maybe relate to a little bit more than some of the yeah. some of the ancient uh sort of problems. One of the things that I noticed is, well, this is a little Bible reading tip when we're reading the Old Testament for listeners. Sometimes you'll notice that the word Lord is in all capital letters in most English translations tend to do this, which that is a reference to the divine name Yahweh. So it is like the covenantal name that God gives his people. God specifically gives Moses when Moses says, the people will wonder who you are. What will I tell them? Mm. It comes up over and over in the Psalms. Now we read it, Lord, the same way that we would read a kind of lowercase Lord. But in this particular Psalm, there is no mention of the divine name. There's reference to God, mm -hmm. uh, but that's a generic reference to God. Okay. There is covenantal language. It talks about sort of unfailing love. That's that Hesed love. But I just found it quite relatable that David, in the midst of confronting like his deep brokenness, like a real darkness within himself, there's like a kind of distancing that I think is really common huh. to all of us when we when we've wronged someone. Yeah. You know, where it's like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call you. I mean I can even imagine sort of like a fight with my wife Rachel like pet names are off the table in the midst of a fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. And I, I'm not saying that the covenantal name is like a pet name, but like that relational intimacy, like there's just this subtle distancing that seemed intentional as I read kind of through this psalm. I thought that was kind of interesting. What a great that's observation. Yeah, I wouldn't have noticed that, but that's very good. And then the other thing that stands out to me is always verse four. Against you, you only have I sinned. Yes which when we talk about the context is just on its face. It feels on its face, not true. Right, right. <laughs> it, you've, you've, objective... you've sinned against some other some other players here. I mean, like, he's, he's sinned against a lot of people right. in doing this. Right. But So on the one hand, you're like, it's just not true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I, I'm, I'm maybe you're about to say this, but it seems seems that like by sinning against other people, he's sinning against God, right? So yeah, is that how mm-hmm. kind of you see it as well? Well, I think that's yeah. So I think like there would be a version of this confession where he could just list kind of the people he's sinned against, and that would be true. Yeah. But I was struck by the way the way that actually it it dignifies it raises these people in the confession oh, because yeah. it's to say like these people are people made in your image. And in fact, my sinning against them is is in fact a sin against you. Huh. There's one way of reading it that I think it's sort of like, oh, he's trying to like brush it under the rug. But I don't think that's at all what's going on here. I think it's actually an elevation of so egregious is what I've done to your people, to these these people who are made in your image, that it is as if I have sinned only against you. He's setting himself up as, as the traitor, right? Yeah. The anointed one. Yeah who now has betrayed God himself. Yeah, I like that, Matt. And that there's a little bit of a parallel to what stood out kind of to me on this read-through, which was verse 13. Mm. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners <laughs> will turn back to you. And he's like kind of making making this deal with God, like I'll, I'll be your ambassador of forgiveness. Mm. I'm going to tell people to, <laughs> to turn from their sinful ways because I've learned my lesson so now I can go and 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 of course I'm sure this isn't the last time he sinned in his life, but I I liked that I liked that deal that he kind of seemed to make with God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like by proxy, I will teach people to turn back to you. Yeah, sort of. I almost like I will be the model, the model of your forgiveness. Yeah, it's almost like kind of what Paul does occasionally in the New Testament, where it's like I where he talks about himself as the chief of sinners. And it's like if God can forgive me, if God can save me, sort of this this Jew of the Jews, right. then can he not save anyone? And right. I wonder if David isn't doing something similar. Like if you forgive me for what I've done, then like I can teach anyone about your forgiveness. <laughs> and right? of course, not only his contemporaries, but now us as readers yeah. a few thousand years later can, our, well, we're, this is exactly what I'm talking about today is how this, this sort of uh, soap opera sin is so relatable to where we are to to us now. So I, I, I think that he's still teaching transgressors yeah. in God's ways just by writing yeah. the psalm and having this story. What would you say to someone, this is uh, kind of a separate question, because I agree with you. It resonates, just the language feels so true. What would you say to someone who's who says something like, David's sin here is like the context actually works against me because it's so soap opera-y that I can't relate oh. to like, you know, like that kind of kind of misuse of power and then having someone killed. Like, how would you kind of, like, it's kind of the opposite extreme of like, oh, I can't relate because I don't have enemies in battle like like they might have or like David Yeah, did, that's, that's a great question because I am using this relatable term. <laughs> but you're right. Not few, very few of us have maybe done acts that exactly parallel this. I think there's right. a lot of... Yeah, so maybe in some ways it's more of a hyperbole, an exaggerated example of sins that we commit every day. I think maybe maybe instead of uh, describing this sort of series of sins as relatable, it's instead, you know, it's like hyper, it's like hyper colored or, yeah, I don't know. It, it's It's so, it's like so devious that it makes his lament all the more potent. Maybe that's what's compelling to me mm. about it. Yeah. Well, and I think one thing that is fascinating about this psalm is, and that partly makes it accessible, I think, too, is he doesn't list 
concretely the things he's done. There is, he, like, the psalm is clearly has a universality to it, even with the context. And I wonder if verse 4 is really significant to that, like the fact that I'm taking up all these things I've done, and they're ultimately sins against you. But that is true of us, even with what we might think of as much more trivial things. Yeah. Like, that that's that remains true uh, against you you only have i sinned when i sort of flew off the handle at so and so like that was actually a sin against against you god and then suddenly the psalm can be prayed by any of us right right it would be silly if, if you if you've never sexually assaulted someone and then tried to kill their husband right. this this is still a psalm that you can you can pray yeah 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 yeah, yeah. no thanks let's move on to a question that i actually gave you ahead of time uh <laughs> What do we learn about God from this psalm? Well, I actually had, I'm going to turn this question into a question and I'm going to ask Ooh. you a question because you've got a little more theological education than me. So I'm curious about the idea of sacrifice that kind of comes up toward the end. So like in verse, oh, yeah. in verse 16, mm-hmm. this, this always blew my mind as a kid reading this too, actually. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. And I spent the entire Old Testament thinking this is exactly what God wants, <laughs> sacrifices and burnt offerings. So I was like, well, David's really like flipping the script here. But then, of course, you know, a few verses later at the end, he talks about prospering Zion. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And it's sort of hard to tell, like, what's literal, what's metaphorical. And the idea of sacrifice according to David here. Do you have any thoughts on this? Because this is what I, I, I don't, I don't know if I learn about God. This is what I want to know about God. So that's why I'm changing yeah, question yeah, yeah. number two. Oh, that's actually, I think, a pretty good question. And whenever the Psalms are pointing us in that kind of curious, I mean, call the podcast Curious Psalms. Right. So anytime it's kind of fostering curiosity is a good thing. Yeah, this actually strikes me as it has some similarities with Psalm 50, which I didn't ask you to read and prepare, but I happened to have a, had a conversation recently oh, about I Psalm bet 50, you have. Okay. as in last week, okay. where he actually says something similar, and I was wrestling through this with Grant, because in Psalm 50, he's got this similar, like, I don't need your sacrifices, but then go ahead and sacrifice. <laughs> and it strikes me that at the end of Psalm 51 can have a similar tone. I think what's going on in Psalm 50 is it is really leveling sort of an accusation at uh, a certain hypocrisy, a kind of ritualization of sacrifice that forgets the living God who owns the whole world uh, is behind this. And I kind of suspect that something similar is happening in Psalm 51. It's like, um, if I was to maybe like add, add a gloss, you do not delight in sacrifice without a broken spirit, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings without a contrite heart. So my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. So Hmm. the sacrifice that is brought with kind of the right intention, it's sort of like a, yeah, it's it's not that the sacrifice is not meaningful, but also the meaning behind it needs to be kind of entered. And if David just is there trying to sort of make good on what he's done by sort of just sending up some smoke and burning some animal fat... Uh, he knows like that. That's not repentance, right? That's right. not turning. But if he if he is in relationship with God, then there's going to be delight in that willing giving. I don't know. What do you make of that? Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's it seems like the language is is almost starting to tip at this point. 
story. Again, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but I'd love to hear what Libby would have to say about this as well. <laughs> but it seems like the yeah. language is starting to tip toward a, a more messianic relationship mm. with God. So maybe, you know, as uh, as an ancestor of Jesus's, maybe David is sort of like looking, maybe there's some some sort of mildly prophetic bent to that sacrifice language. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I think I think both those things can be true at the same time. Yeah. I think it can have made sense for David to pray this and for uh, the people reading this and praying this, you know, 3,000 years ago to have kind of followed the logic of it. Yeah. At the same time, I think it's totally reasonable to say, like, it's, tar- it's starting to kind of, yeah, tip over or point beyond itself. Like, the words almost carry a weight that sort of a sacrificial system can't quite handle. So, yeah, yeah I like that, too. Okay. What I thought in terms of learning about God from this psalm, I was I was particularly captured by verse 15, this, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And just this image of God as the initiator, he initiates our praise. And even the context is interesting. Like, it is, it is a really significant part of the title that it is when the prophet Nathan came to him. So it's not just after David realized he was wrong. It is when the word of the Lord comes to him, when God basically speaks and says, like, in case it wasn't obvious, <laughs> which apparently it wasn't, he was trying to get away with it. Yeah. Like, you you have really committed something heinous here. And so God is really the initiator even of this whole confession. And I was just thinking about the ways that we think about confession. And I think there's maybe two groups of people and let me talk about one group here and then we'll return to a second group in the next question. But I think there's a number of people, often people who grow up uh, in kind of a faith tradition who maybe wonder, am I ever confessing enough? Am I confessing authentically enough? Am I repenting enough? Is my repentance sort of true enough? (laughs) And I think when we can remember that God is the initiator, even of kind of a softness of heart to want to repent, there's kind of a comfort in that God is at work mysteriously in some ways, kind of helping nudge us along. And so there can be sort of a, okay, the very desire to confess, the desire to praise is in some mysterious way, an impulse that comes from God. And I thought that's kind of just beautifully captured in open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Like I can't even start to to speak praise unless you are helping sort of helping me do so. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just some comfort there in terms of sort of the the self-flagellation that we can sometimes think we need to like endlessly go through when it comes to confession. Yeah. This is, I, I, I'd love to move to question three, if that's okay. So help, how does yeah, this let's all do help it. us to pray? Because that was my exact, my exact verse to answer this question. Open oh, my yeah. lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. And I, I never really noticed that being, um, I love your idea of God initiating and I, mm-hmm. and I, I took it maybe slightly more literally in terms of, you know, <laughs> David saying, you, meet me halfway here. I don't have like the strength or the words oh, yeah. to, to praise you all by myself. So I need, I need some help. And I thought maybe this is what happens through the thousands and thousands of prophets and, and artists since David who have been able to, who craft prayers and creeds and songs that are helping us to open, helping us to declare God's praise by opening our lips. So instead of having to generate everything ourselves, we have gifts that are given, hopefully God-inspired gifts mm. that have been given throughout the ages. So that's that's, that's my take on that question. Oh, I love that, Aaron, because that's also pointing us back to a community. This psalm 
feels like it's easy to pray it, it so, like by ourselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it just, it has, it's very, super personal, super personal to David. And barring maybe the last two verses, which kind of has a little zoom out quality. Right. It's very easy to kind of get sort of, yeah, individualistic with this psalm. But what a beautiful way of thinking about verse 15, that one of the ways that God opens our lips is literally through the the songwriters and the artists and the prayer writers and these people like that's that's one of the gifts of god to the community i love that to speak about the second group that i mentioned yeah i can't uh, wait there's a cliffhanger the on the one. second yeah, group. yeah yeah i know so if the first group is those of us who maybe have a tendency to question our confession and our sincerity and repentance i think one of the ways the psalm helps us to pray is for those of us who kind of tend to think we're fundamentally good <laughs> it it gives us a rhythm of confession. It feels like part of the answer to this question is pray this psalm. Yeah. Like yeah. just praying this psalm yeah. helps us to pray. Yeah. And it will form like a posture and kind of a rhythm for us. And the significance of things like in verse five, when David says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Like that just confronts those parts of us that wants to say like, we're pretty good. Like we're like even going back to my question earlier, like I'm better than David. Like I don't need to pray this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't do what he did. Yeah. So this isn't relevant to me. Like I think there's some truth in there's like deep truths in here about the ways that yeah, there's kind of a twistedness to who we are that is really worth kind of revisiting this over and over. And one of the things I appreciate about the psalm too is it, it's really actually praying for a couple of different things. It prays for a cleansing, kind of for God to wipe kind of the slate clean, so to speak, and uses a lot of kind of washing imagery in terms of clothes and things like that. But that's also asking for something new for this is where in verse 10, he makes this move, creating me a pure heart. Uh, oh God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. There's a sense of, it's not just that I'm about sort of beating myself up, but actually I want to become the kind of person. I want you to make me the kind of person who maybe has to pray this less frequently, <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> as a regular rhythm. So yeah. I just thought, yeah, there's kind of, I, I love how this psalm can speak to two people in very different kind of circumstances or places in our journey, because maybe we go through both of those depending on our story. Right, but, right. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a lot to pray in this psalm. It makes it, it makes several moves, but they're all pretty subtle and cohesive. Yeah. And uh, yeah. It's, quite an, it's quite an arc of a psalm. Right. Nice. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Aaron, on this psalm? I mean, we could have done like a verse-by-verse -verse exploration here, but we get that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really do love this psalm. And I thought it was interesting. Like there's this little, I, I like to think in terms of, of music, but there's this like this mm. verses 10 to 12. There's this pretty little create in me a pure heart. Mm -hmm. Like it's a like a, an 80s or 90s song. Oh, yeah. I, I hear that. I hear that for sure in my head. <laughs> Sorry to do that, that to you. There. But it's one growing up singing that song. It feels like there's context within context. And that was like out of context twice over. It felt like to me. Mm. So there's a couple little tidbits like that. But I I, I love I love knowing a little bit of the story about where the psalm came from and about David's attitude toward it. So this was great for me. I love talking through this with you. Well, let's conclude with a couple of verses from this psalm. This is verses 14 and 15 again. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Friends, go out and pray the psalms. Amen.